0: Thank you all very much. It is once again um, an honor and a privilege. Um, I know last week we had some tech problems and our video dropped out on us. Um, I'm hoping that we're, we're still going this morning. Um, I've got a thumbs up from behind the camera. But uh, it has been my experience that anytime that we involve technology, every single time something goes wrong, and uh, we've had that this morning. We've had some gremlins uh, come and show up. Um, I forgot some equipment. But uh, I always try to circle back and just remind myself that at the end of the day, none of that really even matters. Um, it is what it is, and you move forward and you go forward. It's just like in your life. I'm sure that you've all had days where things didn't go exactly as you planned. If I know it's true if you've ever had children. Um, and tried to get them into church or someplace, you know, and you, 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 somebody can't find their shoes, or they show up with their sister's shoes on, and they're not a girl. I mean, you know, things happen. And, uh, and so uh, what I want to encourage you, and really what I want to encourage you with in the message this morning, is I want us to begin to think bigger. Um, I grew up in a world where uh, uh, I was, and I don't know if it was really intentionally taught this way, but it was just kind of the way that it happened is so super focused on, um, they used to call it the us four, no more. I mean, it was just our little group and that's who we were focused on and there's merit in that, but I really didn't understand the broader scope of what the kingdom is and what the church looks like outside of my family, outside of the people that I have loved. What is it, last week we talked about, what is it that we're actually caught up in here? And, uh, and so we're going to talk about that, and, and we're going to have lots of scripts. I don't have one text that we're coming out of. I'm going to be in a bunch of different verses, and uh, my brother Tim's going to put those on the screen for you um, if you're online. If you're, uh, if you're on the tech team here and you're not watching it online, you'll just have to trust me, but, uh, and I'll read them to you. But uh, we're going to be in a lot of different places, and what we're—I'm reading out of the Christian Standard Bible, the CSB, so if you're in a King James or something, it may read a little bit different. Um, and uh, just kind of want to to let you know about that ahead of time. But what I wanted to talk about, I, I've got I've got notes, and then I've got notes. If you've ever done speaking or preaching of any kind, you've got your prepared notes, and then you've got those things you jot down right before you speak, uh, out in the margin. Well, I got a ton of those. And uh, and so, and one of the things I just wanted to, as we're going into Christmas, um, if if I were to give this an objective. Um, there's going to be a series of of sermons that we'll we'll do and then we'll probably break a little bit for this is some Christmas type stuff, but uh, uh, is I want to explore just this bigger picture. And you're going to hear me say things like that all the time if you listen to me very often, that what we're in, the church, with quotes applied, the kingdom, it's bigger than me, it's bigger than you, it's bigger than Fruitvale, but I want to look at what is it. Um, and what I also want to do is let the word dictate what we believe. One of the most informative things that ever happened to me growing up as a, as a minister, I've been in the ministry just over 25 years, is, is to branch out kind of on my own. And, and I didn't have a lot of support early on um, in terms of my location. I just didn't have any mentors. We moved off into Central Texas. And, and what I learned there was the word and the teaching of the Holy Spirit has to dictate what we believe necessarily versus even what we've been taught. Not that it's been wrong, but the, it's got to it's go back to the word. And so we always want to go back to the word to define. So this morning, I always tell you, get your Bible something to write with and something to write on. And, and, there's, and I'll just tell you why. Somebody asked me the other day, why do you always ask us to do that? And here's the, here's the reason. As a classroom teacher, I learned this really quickly. If you write it down, you'll remember it longer even if you're just writing it down for the moment and you toss it in the trash. I always made my students take notes. I made them take, and I would give them a grade on whether or not they took them. I didn't care how good they were. I didn't care if they actually drew little pictures, but if they were right, it's something in the brain. If you write it down, you'll remember it longer. And so, and and because we're gonna be in a lot of places and we covered a lot of material. So what I wanna talk about this morning is simply kind of part one of what is the church but I want to hook into some things that we already know and hopefully bring it and branch it out into some things that you might not be thinking of. Um, the church, as we see it in Scripture, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 16 to start with. If you want to turn there in your Bible, it's where we're going to, going to kind of start and, and move around in Matthew 16 and 18. And we're going to be moving to different places. But in the text, in the, in the New Testament, we see this word show up in Greek called ecclesia and if you've got any biblical training you have heard the term ecclesiology which is really just the study of the church and what it looks like but this word ecclesia that's that's how i my my east texas pronunciation that might not actually be the exact greek but i'm not greek so it's pretty close and uh and so i use that that's the word that's translated church and what it literally means is a called out assembly It is an assembly of people called out of a greater something. And and I wrote in my notes here, but what are we called out of? If you look in the text, we'll see that God has called us out of this world to be a separate people. He has called us out of everything around us to be something different. We are an ecclesia, an assembly. In the New Testament, depending on your translation, it appears over 114, maybe 118 times, depending on which translation you're reading. But interestingly it only occurs three times in the gospels it's it's in it's mostly in the other parts of the new testament and in those three times it's only seen in the book of matthew so we go to matthew chapter 16 and verse 18 to find out what is this thing this ecclesia what is it that he's talking about and i tell you that you are peter and on this rock i will build my church that's the word ecclesia that we see we we use the word church Somebody probably said this morning, either in your mind or to someone else, we're going to go to church. And that's how we think of it. We think of we're going to go to a place and we call that place the church. And that's not wrong. It's just incomplete. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit this morning. But he says to Peter, I will build my church and the gates of hell or gates of Hades will not overpower it. If you flip over a little bit to Matthew chapter 18 and verse 17, the Bible says if he refuses to listen to them and he's talking in Matthew 18 if you're familiar with the Matthew 18 passage this is when someone's done something to offend you. You know, it's interesting to me if you look on if you if you watch social media be careful number 1, but if you're just living life with people, we have conflicts, do we not? I mean, there's things that happen and we've got to figure them out. If you go to Matthew 18, the scripture actually gives us a prescription. I mean, it's a it's an outline. Here's what you do if you've got conflict with a brother or sister in Christ. And within that context, he says in verse 17, if he refuses to listen to them, and that's after the elders of the church have been brought in to to, uh, direct someone who who is in sin, he says, tell it to the church. That word shows up again, ecclesia. And if he refuses to listen to the church, treat him like a Gentile or a tax collector. Now that was really tough language for their time. For, uh, my daughter's a, my daughter's an accountant, and so I, I read this text, and I'm like, am I, what am I supposed to treat you like then, Erica? I mean, you know, you're, a, you're an accountant. You're a tax, but you're not a collector. You don't work for the IRS, so I guess you're okay, as long as you do my taxes for free. And so, but I look in this text, and what he's saying in that text is someone's under discipline, and they're just being rebellious and unrepentant. Then there comes a time when you got to come to the church and say, this person's unrepentant, and we're not going to have fellowship with them. I hope and pray you've never had to be involved in that. But if you have, you know that it's awful. It's awful on the church. It's awful on the person. But um, it is, is it's in the text. And so it's one of those things that we don't find very often. And so, and, and actually it's one of the reasons, if you go to in the First Corinthians, that a local assembly of believers is so very important. Because what we see in this language of the church is it's kind of a back and forth and interchangeable reference to a local gathering and the broader gathering and we're going to talk about that a little bit more i mean you if someone's caught in sin matthew 18 obviously what he's not saying is take out an ad in the paper and tell every believer that's ever been worldwide what they did that's not what he's saying he's saying go to this accountable responsible uh group of people that have chosen by commitment by covenant to each other through god through faith to walk through life together and the hard part about that is is people have forgotten that the church is not just a place that we go. It's a place where we belong in a group of people. We are the church. And, and I've seen this done before. But in the context of what's going to happen to us here, we got to really, and really the motive behind even getting into Matthew 18 and discipline, the motive has to be we have to step into this for the sake of this person's soul. And if our motive is not for their soul and for their repentance, then we're in, we're in a bad spot. And so what he, he's really starting to teach us here in this, this, that there's a local context, but there's a greater thing. And a lot of times in Matthew 18, 17, people use this verse um, kind of to, to push this idea that every single time that the word ecclesia, church, is used in the New Testament, that it's specifically referring to only a local place. I mean, we have it as, as Baptists. We, we have it in our creeds, do we not? We are all autonomous, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, which brings to me a weird thing in light of the text sometimes because we all kind of operate and do our own thing on our own island, which is great in the sense of I feel free. But at the same time, uh, we get into the, it's hard for us sometimes to lose, or it's easy for us sometimes to lose the greater context that we're all connected together and that we're all good uh, Tim are we good I' am is it still recording? all right I'm gonna keep going then we'll post it later um, where was I I can edit this part out now uh, uh, talking about the greater thing is what's difficult for us to remember is because we get so hyper focused on us we forget that we're a part of a bigger picture. Here's what I wanted to ask you if you ever just met somebody you you maybe it's the first time you've met them, and you just click with them. I mean, you, there's, a, there's a common bond. Um, and, and maybe it's because you have something in common. Maybe it's because uh, you have uh, you know, a shared history or a shared past, a shared interest. But sometimes you just meet people and you have a relationship with them that seems supernatural. Uh, my brother Tim and I are that way. Uh, we I always tell people, and I've told him before, our, our hearts are knit together. The scriptures talk about our hearts being knit together. And I have some other friends and people that we come in contact with. And man, when we're together, we can go without seeing each other for months and months and months, and sometimes even years. And when we see each other again, it's like it was yesterday. Y'all, y'all know those kinds of, of relationships. And what I would submit to you is, it's it's because the Spirit of God indwells both of us, and the Scriptures will tell us that our, that Spirit bears witness with their Spirit. And there's just something that we know in them that that we have. We, we would call it, I got a good feeling about them. Or have you ever encountered the opposite of that, where you, you meet someone and you're like, something's just not right here. That's it's not, it's not a good way to always, honestly, to make a lot of decisions necessarily based on, but, but my, my point is this. There seems to be something at work other than what we can always see. And I would submit to you that this thing of the kingdom is much greater than we can even fathom. It's much greater than you and I can even put our heads around. We've all got a part to play in it right here in this place but it transcends who we are and outside of who we are. I think I was telling somebody just about about two weeks ago one of the things that excites me about being able to come and help serve you guys during this time is, is for me it is a physical picture of the kingdom serving each other outside the walls of where we particularly happen to meet. And, and, you know, we have these ideas that are, oh, well, it's a sister church here or this. And we kind of get that it's it's the same but different. And I would submit to you that in the text, and we're going to jump into it a little bit more, that when God is looking at us, he sees us much more as a whole than a bunch of individuals. And we have got to start getting his idea of where we fit into this picture. You know, let's, let's look at some other examples. For those that would say every time the word Ecclesia is used in the scriptures, it means a local particular church in Acts chapter 7 and verse 38. The Bible says, um, this is the man talking about, it's, it's a reference to the Old Testament, who was in the congregation, and the word used there is ecclesia. It is in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai, speaking about Moses. And he calls the group of the Israelites in the de- at Mount Sinai, he calls them the ecclesia, the called out bunch. We could even translate that to church. The reason it's not translated as the church is because it had a different context. Over in Acts chapter 19 and verse 32, we have another one. He says, So then some were shouting one thing, some another, for the assembly, the ecclesia, was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had met together. And so what happens is a lot of times this term is used without distinction. It's just a term that's used for a group of people that have, come together or that have some sort of relationship with each other but most of the time I will say in the New Testament it is making reference to a particular group of believers in a spot and I'm going to throw about let's see one two three four five six there's about six or seven verses I'm going to give to you I'm not going to go to them I'm not going to read them I want you to go look at them later but they're just references to what does the text say about the church because here's the deal there's some controversy that goes on in our world Should a church be big? Should a church be small? What should the church look like? And uh, there's actually been volumes written. There's been arguments made. um, There have been relationships dissolved over how big the church should be and what we should do. I would submit to you that that's one of those things that we probably shouldn't quibble about too much. But at the same time, I want to know, well, what does the Bible say that the church looks like? Because I I know I've been talking with some of the the, the leadership and stuff. I mean, and I having sat as an elder and sat as, you know, been a senior pastor and things. I mean, you want to do it right, right? I mean, you don't want to just put together and and lead something incorrectly. So you look to the text and what does it say? One of the aspects of the church and one of the things I encourage people with is it does have a local nature. I mean, when somebody says, I'm going to move to this city or that city, I've had young couples, oh, well, I got a better job. We're going to go over here. Man, I can make, you know, another 10 bucks an hour. And I would always counsel them. Yeah, but what's the what's the church situation like there? Can you feed your family spiritually? Are you ready for that? Because maybe there's not one. Maybe you're going to be it. Maybe you're out there on your own. And so that's important. But you need to attach to a local body of believers. And, you know, we can talk about what that looks like at another time. But in Acts chapter chapter 8 and verse one, if you want to jot these down, I would even submit that the first century church would be kind of unrecognizable, honestly to what we know in the buckle of the Bible belt as church. It just looked very different. I um, in Acts 8:1, uh, we had a church in Jerusalem. and even if you've been with us on Wednesday nights, you saw, or you will see in chapter 11 on Wednesday night uh, coming up, that after Cornelius would say or receive the Spirit and his household received the Spirit, uh, here's a little teaser for Wednesday. Uh, Peter had to travel back to Jerusalem and talk to the council about it. And they had to have a meeting, had to have a committee meeting to decide if God could do what already happened. And uh, and I, and I kind of joke about that a little bit. But it, if you read the text, that's really what happened. And, but it, 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 and so there was this idea of local things happening with, uh, you know, this, there was a structure and all that. But I want to tell you that the structure is just not that important in the sense of we've got to step back first and understand what is the greater picture that God's doing here. In Acts chapter 16, uh, we see that there was a church in Asia Minor. In Romans 16.5, there was a church in Rome. In 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 2, there was a church in Corinth. There was a church in Galatia. In Thessalonians, we have a church in Thessalonica, in Philemon, um, and so there's these churches all over the place and they all seem to be connected They all seem to be doing the same thing and yet they all did their own thing As we know from first corinthians because they were doing it wrong They were doing some crazy stuff and paul had to write a letter and set them straight And uh, but at the same time they were all witnessing to this same story together The early church like I said looked different. I don't know that they would have had a building like we have I don't know that they would have understood the concept that I'm going to church, except for the Jews who understood about going to synagogue. Now, they did do that. They would go to that place, and then they would all sit around, and the early church did that as well. And so it's not an either or, or one is right or one is wrong. God's, exactly, it's both and, and God's looking into this thing going, y'all think y'all got it figured out, but it's really way bigger than you could possibly imagine. As we get down into this, there are, I, I put down five things. If you're, if you're a note taker, again, these are five things. That the reason the church comes together. Now, because here's what I always hear. I can worship God alone. Now, never in the history of my life in ministry has, there been, has it been brought to the forefront more because everyone's worshiping in their homes. And then people can say, I don't need to the, the, the assembly. I can do this right here. And while technically I will tell you that's true. Because God is omnipresent. He's right there with you as much as he is here in this building. It's not about this place. But I've been in some places in, uh, we went to Nicaragua and in Mexico and some third world countries. If you're set on having a nice building to be in, you're in trouble. Uh, I mean, we went into this one church in Nicaragua, I'll never forget. And it only had partial walls up. And and what they would do is they would make these big, and you have to tell me, uh, they're like 18 by 18 concrete squares. And what they would do is they would scrape up enough money to buy the materials to make a couple of squares and bricks. And they would make them and set them to the side. And as they got a few of them, they would put them up on the wall. And that was it, that's all they had. And they'd scrape up some money, make a few more bricks, wait a little longer. And then they'd put those up until they finally got a wall. And then one of these days, if they were really blessed, they'd get a roof. And we walked into this one place and there was grass growing in it. I mean, a dirt floor. There were no, it was just four walls, no windows, no doors. I mean, they had holes, but no windows. They had door openings and no doors. It did have a roof. And oddly enough, a stage and a sound system. And that was it. And I asked the guy, I said, why, if you don't have a door, you don't even have seats, why would you buy a sound system? And it was kind of up in the mountains. And he said, because when we have church, we turn that thing on and it tells everybody around we're having church and that's how they know to come. And they would stand in these rooms and have, and I'm going to tell you, I've, there were some there was some times of worship. I'm getting, I'm getting Jesus pimples. They, they would, would talk about how we would worship in those times. And I've, I've told people this over and over again. If we're not able to worship God with nothing, we'll never be able to worship him with everything. And so sometimes we have to strip down all the stuff that we have to understand the kingdom well enough to know what God's really up to. And once we do that, then he can really do something with us. But there's five things that the church comes together for. And these are not in, like, an importance order. These are just in the way I wrote them down. First one is worship. We come together to corporately worship. Now, I love to sing in my truck when I'm driving. I like to sing at my desk. Try to watch my time. I love to sing at the worship, but here's the problem. I can't sing. I I can make a joyful noise to the Lord, but I can't make a pretty noise to the Lord. And I don't know that he necessarily cares. But people care when I sing around them, if you know what I mean, okay? And, and so I was listening to the worship team this morning. Man, their harmony was fantastic, always has been. And it's just a beautiful thing to hear. And um, But we come together because we seem to do better together. God did not build us for isolation. Now, the sad thing about where we are right now is, is there's some of you out there that are completely isolated. And that breaks my heart, and it may be that way for some time. That's why it's very important when I say, you know, I get on there and say, hey, check in and let us know you're watching. Because it's not ideal, but at least it's something to keep us connected because it's that connection that keeps us going. I know there's times when I've been down and low in my life, and I need to just talk to somebody. I can call my brother Tim. I've got I've got five or six guys. I can just call. I said, I just need to hear another person's voice. Man, I need to talk to somebody. I need somebody to pray with me. I don't want you to pray for me. Later, I mean, like on the phone, I need you to pray with me right now because I need that connection, and God built us to be like that. He built us for relationship. The second thing is we have worship. We also have that fellowship with each other. Um, I'm a people person. Some people aren't people people. Is that the way to say that? They aren't people persons? I don't know. But some people don't like people. But I like people, and I love to be around people. And it does my heart good to be around people. Um, not that that's right or wrong, but God did build us to fellowship with one another. If you look in the first century, man, they ate in each other's homes. They talked. I mean, they were just in each other's homes and lives all the time. Some people are like, well, that's a little bit invasive. I don't really want people up in my business. Well, then the church will be uncomfortable for you because that's the way it's built. And that's the way it's designed. The second or the third thing is Instruction. They would come together, whether it was in a house pod or a larger gathering, or whether it was the Apostle Paul or Peter, in a courtyard in the public. Wherever They would come together and they would receive instruction. Sometimes it was a letter that they wrote, one of the apostles would write to them that we now have in our text, and they would read it to the church. We would call it the sermon hour, and we kind of live for that. But I wanted to to also just kind of push you a little bit and say that some of the best teaching that I've experienced and sat under wasn't from a pulpit. It was sitting around a dinner table or across a coffee cup of coffee with someone at a, at a local restaurant, and as we broke the word together, and they would mentor me and, and bring me into new truths. That also is a gathering. It may not be formally structured, but I'll guarantee you it was formidable in my faith walk with the Lord. Amen. The fourth thing that we have is we do ministry together. You guys just uh, got finished. How many, is uh, bo- anybody that, that's on the tech team here, do y'all know how many boxes y'all gave to the... 291 boxes to the uh, Christmas box group Samaritan's purse there it is it was in there somewhere and uh, is that right did I say that right no operation yes thank you operation Christmas Child. and and those are that I'm using that as an example the very first Sunday that I was here uh, brother George, uh, I forget who was I think it was you was taking me around showing me everything and we passed one of y'all's ladies and I forgive me if, if you're watching I don't remember your name but she was, was taking care of Thanksgiving meals. And, uh, and uh, I remember somebody in the conversation, said, oh man, how can we, can we help you do it? And she said, "This is mine." And it was just and it was so sweet and she said, "This is my thing. And that boy, her eyes lit up and she's kind of telling us what she was doing. and, and I was, in my heart I was going, man, that's ministry. And uh, we come together as a local group, a body of people, to do, like I said, worship, fellowship, to get instruction, but it's not just to get the instruction so we can consume it, the Bible. That's not the point, to come, sit, get, and go home. The point is to come and to get and to be and to experience, but then to turn that out on other people and to minister to people who need it. And, uh, you know, the scriptures will tell us when Jesus was talking, you know, he's like, the disciples would say, you know, he said, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When did we do these things? And he said, well, when you did it to the poor. That's when you did it. And so we come together for ministry, not just to each other, but to our communities. I'm looking out the back door right now at the very at the front door of a gymnasium of a school. Man, what a location. If location was ever important for a, for our congregation, we've got a great one right here um, because the in our little towns, the schools and or the churches tend to be the social hubs of just about everything. And so the opportunity to meet and understand who people are and what they need and be able to do that is part of what we do as a church. And the last thing I wanted to throw in there was the sacra- We call them, I call them the sacraments. Um, but uh, the ordinances is probably a better way maybe to say it. But that's baptism and the Lord's Supper. And, uh, and I know that there's plans to, to engage in the Lord's Supper. But if you've been saved and you've been baptized. I mean, that's what we do locally. That's what, I mean, you notice in Acts chapter 10, we were studying and uh, Peter went out. They didn't have a formal setting like this, but they all received the spirit. And what did he say? Who can prevent these guys from going into the water? And they baptized them, all of them, because it's part of the ordinance of the church. And yet it was outside the confines of what we would know as the four walls of a building. But it was just happening because the kingdom is bigger. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 47, The Bible says every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. And because when we come together and we do these things, it brings fruit and stuff begins to happen. When we come together in worship and we fellowship and we bring instruction and we minister to people and we do the ordinance, when we do the things as a group that God has told us to do, though God begins to bless that, that doesn't mean that our church is double in size and triple in size. If you're out there and you're a, a pastor or a leader, I want you to really cue in what I'm about to say. The size of your church is not an indicator necessarily of your faithfulness to God. Okay? I, I can't say that more strongly. And just because someone has a huge church doesn't mean that they're necessarily more faithful to the Lord or that God's blessing them anymore. In fact, it can be a trap. And you got to be careful sometimes. Because we, we have this mindset that the, we're so focused on what's happening in our buildings that we forget and lose this greater picture of what I call the universal church, of the church, the kingdom of God. And we get so focused on building something that that's not what God said he would do. He said, Peter, on this rock, who did he say would build the church? He said he would build the church. It's not even our job. According to the text, we'll, I'm getting ahead of myself a few weeks, but even the t- primary responsibility of the pastor, teacher, leadership, elders, deacons in a church is to equip the saints for doing ministry. That's the role and that's the goal. And to serve and the, the, the needs and the, the, those that, that have need. But it's not to build bigger barns. Now if that happens, great. Sometimes you got to have it. But I also will tell you this, that God can move and the spirit can fall and the, the work of the church can be done in very small units. Um. I would be even as bold as to say with this culture that we're moving into, um, I, I've told somebody just literally this last week, I said, prepare your heart, prepare your mind. Because what we may, if, I mean, if they start bringing in the, 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 the restrictions once again, we're going to have to figure out a different way to do church. And we're going to have to focus on these units. And somebody said, well, man, if we can't get together, uh, you know, God's power is just not going to be with us. And I'm just saying, well, if we look into the text... Man, they were doing it all over the place in these little pods and these little units and God completely changed the world with them. Right. So there's division in the church right now in the, and I'm taking the, the global church about whether or not we're all, you know, the local assembly versus this, but I'm going to tell you, while let me just read it to you the way I wrote it so I don't get it confused. While local church denotes a particular assembly, the usage in the New Testament indicates all believers born of the Spirit, baptized into the same Spirit in the body of Christ. And Let me show you in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13. Verse 13. He says, for in one Spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks or slave or free, we are all made to drink of one Spirit. If you have not lived in a cave the last couple of years, you know that our country has been riddled with racial strife and racial tension. Um, Whether it's real perceived or whatever, that's not the point that I'm uh, even here to make. I'm telling you this because I know in people that I encounter, it exists. It exists in the church. And I'm sad to say that in the history of the church in America, it's existed far more than it ought to have. But there's a pretty simple way to address it as believers. And that's the gospel. Amen. The gospel of Jesus Christ, according to 1 Corinthians 12, he says we're baptized into one spirit, period. So I've got some dear friends that I've been able to do ministry with here recently, um, Pastor Willie uh, and uh, Pastor Trey. Uh, Tuck, both uh, These are two black guys that have a ministry called Bros for Real. And we've been able to, to, to do some ministry together, and it's so interesting to me because when we get together, We've only known each other for a few years, but it feels like we've known each other forever. Because their spirit and our spirit witnesses together with the Holy Spirit, and we're on a we're on a single mission for the kingdom of God that doesn't involve our own self-interests. Amen. And it's so interesting to know and to look into the text. We'll say, in one spirit, we've been we've all been baptized. Into one body, that's everybody. We're all in this together. We may just meet in different places. The very nature of this verse lends itself to speak of the universality because he's talking about Jews and Greeks. Remember, look what he says. There's neither Jew Jew, nor Greek nor slave nor free. They're all in different places all over the place, and yet he describes them in one spirit and one body with one baptism. All together. So it's not a bumper sticker. It's not trite to say that we really are all in this together. And so when I hear of a brother or a sister in another location that's struggling, I feel compelled as a child of God to reach out to them out of my abundance to help them if I can. And I'm really not that concerned about where they are. If it's a brother or a sister in need, then they're part of my family. I know one of the things that we got to experience going into third world countries is I'm always, I'm real practical. i want what can we do to help you? And Tim was helping me to see, because he'd been there before us and knew these people. And I was like, why are we going? And you know what the number one reason we went there was? It wasn't to build this or to do that, though we did those things. But it was to encourage the brethren. I mean, just our being there showed them they weren't alone. Because I know this one little pastor, he lived up in the mountains, and he was a cobbler. As I remember his story, you know, a cobbler, he made shoes. Who makes shoes? This guy. And he made shoes like 16 hours a day all day long he would ride his bike down into town make shoes and he made like 20 bucks a month I'm not joking had 5 kids and they lived in a 10 by 10 hut up in the mountains and I'm thinking practical western America I said our church could give him $200 a month right now easy we could sponsor him we could change his life and you know what the local guys told us don't do it you'll ruin his ministry. And I said, man, we could change his... And what I didn't realize, I was thinking, I could make him more like us. And what really needed to happen is I needed to understand more like him. And what he told me was, he said he'll never, he won't be able to relate to his people anymore. And I want to tell you something, this guy had nothing. But he had a joy that I can't even explain. When he would talk about the Lord, his eyes would light up and he would weep for the people that were in his little hut of a church that was next to his little hut of a house that he preached to and he ministered to all the time. He had something that I was missing because I couldn't see it because of all the junk that I had. But I'll tell you what, when we got together, I could, we were part of the same family, baptized into one spirit and baptized into one body. He was my brother in Christ. And he was in Nicaragua up in the mountains in a tradition that I don't even remember what tradition he was. But I know this. He loved Jesus and Jesus him crucified. And he preached him and he sacrificed his whole life to make sure that happened. And that's my brother. And when we showed up, his heart was encouraged. Because somebody else that had been called out of the world into this assembly showed up to just say, I see you and I love you and I'm going to I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray for you. Man, it did his heart good and it did my heart good to see it. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25, the Bible says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. I'm not here to talk to you about husbands and wives this morning. That'll be for another day. But what he says in there is, I want you to love like Jesus loved the church. And how does he love the church? He died for it. In this conversation of, does the word ecclesia mean just this body or does it mean the, the broader scope of the kingdom of God? I would tell you that Jesus Christ didn't just die for this church in Fruitvale. Right? We, we know that intellectually, kind of intuitively. We know that, but man, I want to drive it home. Jesus Christ died for what he's calling the church for believers of time and space. And it transcends what we can think of and put in a bottle in a box. And that's why we're able to do ministry outside of the confines of our four walls and it still be in the interest of the kingdom because Jesus didn't just die for you and me. He died for all of this that we're caught up in. This just happens to be where, because of our location, we manifest what he's doing in this one little spot. I had a... Y'all ever have social media conversations with people? They're never profitable. But... I had a conversation with someone just the other day. I think it was on a tweet or something. And someone had made a, com- a comment about the spirit of, of uh, competition amongst churches. And I responded with, and I think the, the response was, oh, I wish this was the truth. And I responded with, oh, it is the truth. We're not in competition, but it's responsibility of the leadership to stand up and to really push and say we're not in competition with the church across town, we're not in a competition with the church across the street. We're just not. And and then there the was a response to that was it's like yes, but we find that mostly in the pew. It's not in the not in the in the pastors and things. But I want to just be emphatic. We're not in competition. Right. We're caught up into something that's bigger than us. And as a pastor, I want to tell you, let me tell you how somebody always says, yeah, that's great to say, but what does that look like practically? I'm going to tell you how it looks like for me. I was a pastor of a, of a small church, and we had a family joint. Man, we loved them, and they loved us. I mean, what's not to love? That's what I tell people, right? I mean, we're great. And they were they were ministering and trying, but something, you ever just be someplace and something's just not right? Not wrong, just you don't feel like you fit. Some of you are like, yeah, that was what it was at Thanksgiving. I just don't fit in my family. You know, maybe that's you. But something just wasn't quite right. And I, so I sat down with the family and I was like, I, I know, I've known y'all forever. But something seems off. What's going on? And they, they began to talk about, no, we don't have any beef. We're not upset. Just don't know that we fit in the culture. Was it right, wrong, just kind of felt weird. So I began to talk with them and say, well, what do you, tell me What's what, what feels wrong. And afterwards we got to talk, they were just involved in some things. They did rodeo, they had cows, they had all this stuff. They were just involved in some things that our particular congregation was built of a bunch of computer nerds that didn't even like pets. <laughs> and so, you know, I mean, and so forget horses. And so we got done and I said, you know what? I said, I really think you should go visit some cowboy churches. And they're like, you trying to get rid of us? And I said, no, I love you. I said, but I want you to thrive because I'm not in competition with them. We're caught up into something bigger. This is about the kingdom. This is not about us building the role. This is about you being fed and thriving with what God's gifted you to do in the kingdom of God. And so we started looking. And as a senior pastor, I actually spent the time and found them another church to transfer to. And we laid our hands on them and prayed for them and sent them out to go join another church. And I'm like, that's how it needs to be done because we're not in competition. It doesn't matter. Whether they everybody comes here or everybody goes there, as long as this the word is being taught, the ordinances are being done, there's fellowship and and those sorts of things, then I say, get after it. My granddad used to say, let her rip, tater chip. Let's just get after what we've got to do here because it's bigger than what we could even imagine. I'll hurry. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 22, he says, and God put all things under Christ's feet and he gave him to the church as head over all things. And now the church is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let me let me break that down for you real quick. What's my time look like? Oh, i got to be done. I have often said this when people said, do you want to do this in the church or do you want to do that? You're the man, you're the guy in charge. Boy, that's a dangerous thing to tell me too, by the way, because I kind of like it. But you know what I always say to them? Said the church doesn't need a king; she's got one. Wow. What she needs is subjects. Now, there's structure in that leadership. Yes, there is. But look what it says in verse 23: the church. And again, this is not just the First Baptist Church of Fruitvale or the, or the or the Second Baptist Church of whatever. The church, by, every, the church universal, is His body, the fullness of Him who fills. The church is the fullness of Jesus. That means it represents and contains all the beauty and the glory and the majesty and the wonder that is Jesus Christ is in the church. And that's why I love the church so much. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 18, it says, He is the head of the body, the church, as well as the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead, so that he himself may become first in all things. Galatians 3.28, there's neither Jew nor Greek, neither is there slave nor free. There's neither male or female, for all of you are, in, are one in Christ. Now, in our culture, that verse has taken on a different meaning for some. But the point of the verse is this. He's like, stop playing favorites. Stop dividing yourselves in the name of Jesus. We're all in this together. Jesus is not going to come back and set foot on the Mount of Olives and be like, I want this denomination and that denomination. He's looking for people. According to 2 Chronicles 16, 9, one of my favorite verses, he's looking for people. It says his eyes are going to and fro throughout the whole earth, looking for people whose hearts are perfect towards the Lord that he may give them strong support. When he comes back, he's looking for people whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. If you go to uh, uh, over in the script, the, when it's, uh, the, the passage just jumped out of my head. Is it Matthew 7 or John 7? I can't ever remember. Um, the broad path and the narrow way. Somebody can look that up for me and shout it out to me if they're if on the tech crew there. That'd be great. And uh, uh, get to the broad path and it, all these people doing all these great things. And he says, Depart from me because I never knew you. They were doing, casting out demons, preaching in his name, doing all these things. And he says, I don't know you. When he sets foot on the Mount of Olives, he's going to be looking for people that he knows. He's going to be looking for people who know him. And I would submit to you that according to the text, that's what we're caught up in. That's what this thing called the church is. We do meet locally. It manifests itself in a hundred million different ways. Over in Iran, they're meeting underground in people's homes and in their little pods when everybody's not watching. In China, the church is underground, but it's no less the church than what we're getting to do right here. Uh, There's been a lot of talk right now about the loss of freedoms and and what it means for us in the church. You know what? It, It may be true. The day may come that we can't peaceably assemble like this. And that'll be sad, tragic, and awful. At the same time, when that began to happen to the church in Jerusalem, they scattered from persecution and the church exploded. And it grew. Because here's the deal. They can't take the church away from us. They could stop us from meeting. They can make us go in secret. They can even take our lives. They cannot stop this thing. It's what I was trying to tell you last week. The church is something that's so big, it can't be stopped because God said it's going to be finished. It can't be thwarted. And so I kind of just go, "Okay. It's terrible. I hate it. But if it is, it is. We got to deal with it like it is. And we've got to be ready, equipped, Take this word and still continue what God has started. In Ephesians 4, 4, I'll leave you with this. He says again, there's one body, one spirit, just as you two were called to one hope of your calling. If I were to give this title, the message a title today it would have simply been, We're all in this together. Every one of us. I was so thrilled. And I and I've said this so many times. Maybe you're just getting tired of hearing it but I just want to really drive it home. When I heard you guys were needing some pulpit supply, and I thought, man, what an opportunity. Not for me, but just to paint a picture of how one believer, two believers, my my team, Tim, that's been coming with me, can paint a picture of what the kingdom looks like. No strings attached. There's no, no anything other than there's a need to be filled. Let's go fill it. And when this need is filled here, then there'll be somebody else with a need. Let's go fill that one. And and then as we can get that vision of the kingdom as individuals, then we can even start looking around. Well, our sister that sits over here, I can see she has a need. Well, let's go fill that. Somebody over here, they, they got the lights turned off. Well, let's just give them a few bucks. I mean, maybe it's that simple or maybe it's their marriage is falling apart. Let's start having dinner with them once a week and see if we can help them come out of that. Maybe they're caught in addiction. Maybe we can start having lunch with them once a week or something like that, or breakfast on a Saturday and get them plugged into some counseling because they've got a need. Maybe they're just sad and they need a friend and I don't know if I like them too much, but I'm going to start trying to befriend them so that I can minister to them and fill that need. And then we start looking across the street and my neighbor that doesn't go to any church, bless their heart, their yard didn't get mowed because they had COVID and couldn't get out and mow the yard. So we go mow that yard for them out of the grace of our heart just because it needs to be done. That's when the kingdom starts taking place and stuff starts looking different than we can even imagine. That's what we're caught up in. We're not caught up in building buildings and we're not caught up in building empires. We're caught up in Jesus said, I gave everything. I want you to love your wife like I love the church. Well, how did you love the church? He gave up everything for her. So my question to you this morning is, is are you caught up in this thing of the scriptures? Are you caught up into something that we've built? Because if we're caught up into something we've built, we're caught up into something that's, no, that's going to crash and burn. I was, I, if you can't tell today because I got a good fresh cut, I am a redhead. And with that seems to come some inherent, um, I like to prefer the, the term of I feel passionate about many things. Uh, Tim will tell me I'm high strong and have anger problems, but I prefer passionate about many things. And I was watching some discourse between some pastors the other day. And they were angry. Really angry. About what's happening in the world around us. And I get it. I understand. But I kind of chuckled. Because here's the truth. I'm going to look right in the camera and I want you to really hear this. If the government can break and stop what we're doing what we're doing is not of God. Yeah, yeah. And I don't mean that we that there's, that there's you have to rebel and do all of this thing and, and not... I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about if what we're doing, whatever it is, can be stopped by a government edict, then what we're doing is not what this book talked about in the church. Because what if it's just you and your family? Then there's church work to be done. Children have to be discipled. Grandparents need to be cared for. Elderly need to be fed because they can't work anymore. There's still plenty of stuff to do. You can gather around your 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 little couch there and you can sing praises like that guy did in Nicaragua in the mountains. Maybe it's you and your neighbor because it got that bad. Y'all can still come together and perform the functions of the church and find someone to help you who can be an elder, someone who can help you give direction and instruction. It can be done. Because this thing that he's describing in this book can't be stopped, won't be stopped. And there's another promise that he made that I like to to keep my eye on. When Jesus comes and sets foot on this earth, on the Mount of Olives, and I believe in a physical return of Jesus. I believe that with all of my soul because that's what the text says. He says his bride, that's us, that's the church, that's all of us, will be pure and white. And re- not white, As I said that one time, says, oh you got raised, no, no, no. She'll be pure like a bride. All this junk that we've put into the church won't be there when he's ready. He's going to call out this pure bride of Christ. So my encouragement to you is this, examine what you're caught up in. And I can tell you how I that works for me and that's all I can do. What I get passionate about, what I get angry about when it doesn't go the way that I want it to be done. That tells me what I'm caught up in. And when I get angry and passionate about things that don't matter. That are not in here. Then I'm getting angry and caught up about things that are not really what are important in the kingdom of God. I want to encourage you to open up your, your thinking into what the church is. And then you bring that thinking into this little group that God has put you as a, to be a part of. And you start living that out. And sometimes it lives out here. And sometimes it lives out across the road. And sometimes it's in another country. And sometimes it's in another state. Uh, I know Brother Charles, we've been traveling and working. Uh, you, You take the church with you when you go. You go to Brookshire's, guess what? You're taking the church with you when you go. You see somebody struggling and have a bad day, reach out to them. That's what we do. Because the kingdom makes us different people. One of the greatest times I ever had at a restaurant one time was not because of the food. You ever had a bad waiter or a waitress? I mean, they're just bad, and they're angry, and you're warning if they spit on your food because they're just so cantankerous. I had a waitress one time. Man, she was foul. I mean, she just throwing our stuff down, and my first thought was, well, there went her tip. She's getting nothing. But the spirit whispered, and he said, hang on a second. Ask her how she's doing. Okay. I was reluctant. I was already upset because my stuff was cold. And I said, ma'am, are you okay? Are you having a bad day? She sat down and talked to me for 45 minutes and cried and spilled her whole life story, and it was a wreck. It was bad. And she just was lucky to be there today, is what she said. And I got to minister to her. We prayed together at there in the restaurant. And you know what? All of a sudden, that cold food and that lousy service didn't seem to mean so much because the kingdom had reached out, and the kingdom was reaching out to her through me. Man, what a blessing that was. Never saw her again. Don't know how it went, but I know for one brief moment, heaven and earth intersected. That's what we're caught up in. It's not always about who we can get to come here. It's always about what can you make me into, God, so that I can take you out there. We're going to pray. Worship team's going to come back, and we're going to sing one more song. Father, we love you. We thank you for all that you've done, all that you will do. We praise your name. God, we pray that you would help us to understand more of what your kingdom is and what our role in it is. Open our vision, Father, and help us to keep it off of ourselves, God. While at the same time, you've given us groups of people in our locations to look after, care for, and be accountable to. Father, help us to have the vision to do both. Help us to have your kingdom vision to see both and how your kingdom works out in our local space. And how our local space can grant uh, blessing to the greater kingdom. Father, we wait for your return. Maranatha, Lord, come quickly, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.